So it's funny how certain phrases can catch on. I was at a trinket store a couple of years ago and I <clears throat> saw this wall plaque that said, I don't feel like adulting today. This, this phrase, right? This one. When I first saw that, I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of funny. It's kind of quippy. It's kind of cute. And now, like, you can you see that phrase everywhere. Wall plaques, t-shirts, coffee mugs. I even found a notebook. I don't feel like adulting today. Sit in the front row, you get a gift. <laughs> in a funny way, we're basically saying, uh, you know, I, just, I don't really feel like behaving in a way that's normal for a mature adult, at least for the next 24 hours. So for the next 24 hours, I'm just going to be impulsive, irresponsible, not going to regulate my emotions. I'm just going to revert to adolescence. I think we can get stuck in a sort of religious adolescence where we don't feel like spiritually adulting, a bit impulsive in our faith. I'll practice my faith if I feel like it. Or maybe be a bit irresponsible, twist the scriptures to fit our agenda. Maybe even have a lack in the regulation of our emotions, get really mad at church because I don't get my way, and so I send the pastor a mean, obnoxious, anonymous note. Yes, it happens. I don't believe that God desires us to become better religious people. What I do believe is that God wants us to commit to a lifelong process of growing in our faith, of maturing in our faith. There are many passages in the New Testament in which the Apostle Paul writes to individual churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire, asking them, and in some cases begging them, to grow in spiritual maturity. Two of those uh, passages are the book of Ephesians chapter 4, in which the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in the city of Ephesus. And the second is Romans chapter 12, in which the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in the city of Rome. He's asking, he's begging, he's pleading, please turn your life around, please move in the direction of spiritual maturity. And there's a word that essentially is the catalyst for this spiritual maturity that the Apostle Paul is talking about, a a heart that reflects the nature of his writings. And that's the word responsibility. It's kind of a heavier word. A couple of years ago, one of my children and I were having a discussion about adulthood. And they said to me, Dad, but I don't want to grow up and I don't want to become an adult because I don't want all that responsibility. I mean, at least they were honest, but it is easy to kind of, kind of get stuck there. See, one of the big differences between adolescent religion and spiritual maturity is that word responsibility. Now, I'm not talking about salvation here. The book of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that salvation is a free gift through faith in Christ. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Salvation's a gift, but maturing in my faith is something I give myself to, not something God forces on me. It's something I take responsibility for. So last weekend, 
We were in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writing, he says this, Therefore I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that word offer, and that phrase be transformed, there's kind of an urging. Please take responsibility for your spiritual life. So this weekend, I want to take a look at some more passages from Romans that will apply what it is the Apostle Paul is urging these churches to do. Because this urging and this behavior results in something. It results in a transformed life and and transformed behavior. A transformation in the way that we live our life. Because listen, you, you can believe something and still not be changed by it. I've been uh, doing some reading on, um, on health, and in one of my uh, readings I discovered that it is really, really bad for your physical body to sit for long periods of time, which is unfortunate because my job is pretty sedentary. I spend most of my day sitting. I sit in front of a computer half the day. I sit in meetings. I sit in appointments. I'm constantly sitting, and the more that I read about how bad it is to sit and how worse it gets as you get older, which I'm, I'm, I'm kind of see 50 in the horizon. Like, it's just, so sitting for hours and hours and hours a day is bad for your muscles, your bones, all kinds of things. I'm convinced that it's true. And yet I can still be convinced that it's true and do absolutely nothing about it. Well, I decided to make a change. And the change that I made over a year ago is I set a little timer in my office. And every hour, every 60 minutes, I just get up and I take a lap around the building or outside if it's warm. Second thing I did is I got this little standing desk that I put in the corner of my office so at least part of the day I can stand. Because not only do I believe that that's true, I've also decided to be transformed by the truth that I say I believe. I can be convinced that God exists, I can be convinced that the scripture is true, and still not be transformed by it. So now moving back into Romans chapter 12, I want to look at a few verses that outline some behaviors of a person choosing to grow in spiritual maturity. The first is very, very simple, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be intentional and authentic. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Love must be sincere. It must be without deception or hypocrisy. Have you ever been deceived in what was supposed to be a loving relationship? Maybe you felt taken advantage of or used, and nobody likes that. Nobody wants to feel taken advantage of, especially in a relationship that's supposed to be loving. As I consider my own relationship with God, do I love God for who he is, or do I say I love God because I'm afraid of going to hell? Because there's a big difference. Just like there's a big difference between marrying my wife because I love her, or marrying my wife because I'm afraid of being alone. There's a very big 
difference. Love without hypocrisy or deception. Love with sincerity. Give your whole self to it. And that love that I have for God then naturally produces in me, the natural result is a hate for that which is evil. So I want to make an observation, and it's purely that. Uh, I don't want to come across as moralistic or legalistic or prude or any of those things. I certainly don't want to come across judgmental. But, but I just wonder, a question that I've been asking myself is, are we becoming desensitized in our world? The psalmist writes in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will not look at anything. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. The word vile literally means worthless or that which is morally apprehensible. Now, there are things that are human, part of our human nature, part of our human faults that aren't necessarily vile. For instance, I keep getting the question asked why I painted my fingernail black. And the response is, I didn't. That's actually blood. Because I jammed my finger in the door while letting my dog out. My brain and my limbs didn't communicate well. So when I closed the door, my hand was still on the frame of the door. And I slammed it. I thought I broke it. It really hurt really bad. And I may or may not have, depending on which version of my children's story you believe, uttered a word that's maybe not appropriate for a man of the cloth. It happens because we're all human, right? Then there are things that are vile, worthless, and morally apprehensive, just morally disgusting. When I abuse with my words, when I abuse someone emotionally, when I abuse someone physically, That's vile. That's worthless. When I choose to live with hate in my heart, that goes on God's list of things that are vile. When I choose to slander other human beings created in God's image, that makes several lists of God things that God calls vile. And when I trivialize sexuality, that's, that's vile. It takes something incredible. It makes it worthless. So in my own life and in my own convictions, I'm reevaluating what it is I'm choosing to expose myself to and what it is that I'm approving of. Because like, like for instance, when I turn on the television and watch TV, like for so many years, like my standard was basically, as long as there's not nudity, we're okay. I just, is that a good standard? I mean, I'm asking myself, is that really a good standard? There's so much vile in the world. Violence becomes normal. It's just entertainment. It's no big deal. But is it? I mean, it gets in my, my brain and changes the way that I think. It changes the way that I value human life. When the Apostle Paul writes, hate what is evil, he literally means be horrified at that which is evil in the, the world. And in my horror, I walk away from it, I turn away from it, and I fight against it. See, my love of God causes me to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The word cling literally means to cement together. 
couple years ago, I super glued my fingers together. You ever, you ever done that? It is so annoying. It is so hard to get them apart. It hurts. You got to work at it. And I super glued them good. So it was really hard to get it apart. So when the Apostle Paul writes, cling to what is good, super glue yourself, your whole soul to those things that are good and stick with them. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to grow mature, you want to grow spiritually, cling to those things and turn away from that which is, is vile. And as you cling to that which is good, honor others above yourself. It's a progression in his thought. The word honor means a value by which the price is fixed. That's the literal translation of the word honor. God has fixed a price on human life. If you were to wear a divine price tag, it would say invaluable and irreplaceable. The word also means respect shown another which is measured by one's own valuation of another. You and I, if we're honest, we constantly are attaching value to people. In the 90s, when I was a senior in high school, I worked at a grocery store. This was during the days when we used price guns for everything Maybe I'm dating myself. Remember price guns? Like every individual can of soup, every package, you had to take it and put a price out. There was no scanning. There was no self-checkout. It was all done manually, just all day. Click, 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 click. I think in our mind, we carry around our own price gun. And we put price tags on people all the time, determining their value. I go maybe downtown to Milwaukee, I see some homeless people put a value, what I think they're worth. I'm driving down the road, and the car in front of me has either a Biden sticker or a Trump sticker. Put a value. This is what we think those people are worth. Maybe you see someone who's disabled. Put a value on human life. See someone who's Wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Click. I was at my son's football game last weekend in Lake Geneva, and I just chose the wrong place to sit. Because I sat right behind this family from the other team that was so obnoxious and so loud, and they looked a certain way, and I was judging, and I was getting so frustrated because I'm like, you know, they're in eighth grade, right? It was just the, and I fixed a value. And we do that. We walk around, we look at people, we make judgments all the time. Hmm. (laughs) I like your shirt, Art. I'll give you a little more. With that jersey, this, can this go in the negative? Double negative. And when we do it, right? Oh, we laugh, right? I laugh. But I'm constantly walking around affixing prices on people. And I think the Lord looks down and says, listen, I, this is what I want. You ready? I want you to stop. Because your valuation is wrong. Your pricing structure is off. 
You want to move from religious adolescence to spiritual maturity? Here's how you evaluate another person. Put a higher price tag on them than you put on yourself. Because love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling towards what is good, be devoted to one another in love, and honor the other above yourself. Secondly, he goes on to say, if you want to move from adolescent religion to spiritual maturity, live with a little bit of excitement. Verse 11, Romans 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That phrase, keep your spiritual fervor, means to be boiling over in your love and your zeal for the Lord. So, so I wonder, like, what is it that gets you excited? I'm not talking about being flamboyant, because you can be excited without being flamboyant. You don't have to be expressive to experience the emotion of excitement. Like for me, when I walk in the door and I know my wife's making fried tacos, I get excited. It's a good day in the house when I smell that grease, right? It gets me excited. But there's got to be more to life than fried tacos. Is there anything about my relationship with God that gets me excited? Or is my religious expression kind of like one lifelong funeral? That I have to go to, not because I want to, but because it's the right thing to do. When I think about the goodness of God, the grace of God, what the cross actually represents, what it means for me personally, I hope I get a little bit excited. I hope that excitement causes me to be joyful in hope. What, What a hopeless world needs is some hopeful people. Be patient in affliction. Some translations say be patient in tribulation. The word tribulation comes from the word tribulum. A tribulum is an ancient Mediterranean piece of farming equipment that was used to crush corn and wheat. So when, even when you're feeling crushed, just be patient. I know how the story ends. And this isn't it. And finally, be faithful in prayer. Have a sense of zeal knowing that I am able to communicate with the one I call creator? And finally, if I'm going to move from adolescent religion to spiritual maturity, I make an intentional decision to share my life. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. I want to skip down to Romans, back up to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, all of you at Northbrook Church, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, many limbs and parts, and these members do not have all the same function, my eye and my liver do different things, So we in Christ, though we are many, we form one body called Northbrook and each member belongs to the other. We can't function without each other. Because we all have different gifts. We all have different functions according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's 
encouraging, then be encouraging. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And do these things together. That's why the scriptures so often speak of unity. Just like my body can't function unless it's unified, the Christian church can't function properly unless it's unified. When we bring all of our gifts, our talents, and our resources together, collectively, in unity, you know what's possible? What's possible is incredible. I read an article about a race that happened in Washington State. Uh, This race had 53,100 runners. There were some scientists at that race that did some calculations and experimentation, and they found that these 53,100 people ran 396,000 collective miles, or literally 15 times around the earth. These 53,100 people together sweated 80,000 gallons of sweat. That's a lot of sweat. Collectively, this group of people burned 11,100 pounds of fat. The energy that they produced in their exercise was enough collectively to light 400,100 watt light bulbs. If the energy produced by these runners could be captured, it would be enough to light an entire city for one hour or lift the U.S. space shuttle off the ground for 18 seconds or 5,200 feet. That's a lot of collective energy. Do you realize what we can accomplish for the kingdom of God together? If we could move past the things that divide us and focus on that which unites us? And the apostle Paul writes, so first, share with the Lord's people in need, meaning, hey, Christians, take care of each other. Just take care of each other. But then he goes on to write, practice hospitality. That phrase, practice hospitality, doesn't mean I invite you over to dinner to my house so I feel good about myself and I call that hospitality. No, that word hospitality is the combination of two Greek words. The first word is the word phileia, which we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love, because it means brotherly love. The second is the word xenia, which means stranger or foreigner. From that word, we get the word xenophobia, which means fear of strangers or foreigners. So that word, hospitality, in its literal sense means show brotherly love to strangers, foreigners, and enemies. That's what it says. Don't shoot the messenger. Practice hospitality. Share your life with those around you. In the last two years, a lot of things shut down. But there's one thing that didn't shut down, and that's the Christian church. That's why I love this church so much. Northbrook Church is not a church of passivity, but we are a church that collectively wants to accomplish God's will and God's time for our world. See, this past year, 2020 and 2021, while the world was shut down, you sprung into action. Because you sprung into action, we noticed that there were some families in need, and so you started dropping off groceries here, and because of the groceries that you dropped off, 350 students from Cross Trainers Academy at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission were able to have 
meals because they missed two meals a day because their school closed. In 2020, the church didn't shut down, and because you also made weekly donations of diapers and formula, the CareNet Pregnancy Center was able to keep its doors open, and because of that, 75 women chose life for their babies. Because of your generosity to Northbrook Church, 700 Thanksgiving meals were provided to the homeless in Milwaukee that weren't able to receive it because of some of the shutdowns. And our Mothers of Influence group packed 100 snack bags for kids at the Joy House, which is the homeless shelter for women and children, just to give them a little bit of a treat in a crazy time. Because of your generosity... We were able to help feed thousands of migrant workers in the nation of India who were stranded because all the borders shut down. They were left literally in the streets with no food and no water. And one of our ministry partners started feeding and giving people water, needed funding, so we helped them. We also provided 1,600 preventative care packs for those workers who were out on the streets helping those in India. Because of your generosity... We were able to send money to the nation of Ghana in order to feed 1,200 people from 250 families in a village for three months when food shortages happened because of the pandemic. We were also able to offer a virtual training course in cosmetology in the nation of Ghana for women trying to start their own business so they would have a way to provide for themselves. We did it over Zoom and women were trained. We supported mothers and babies in El Salvador, providing necessary uh, things for them. We also, because of the technology of Zoom, were able to connect with our missionaries and, and take care of them. And because of your faithfulness and generosity, we were also to help plant a brand new church in the city of Milwaukee, a multi-ethnic church in Milwaukee called You Flourish that's opening next weekend because you said we want to help and we were able to help them purchase that building for cash, starting their church with no debt. Yes, the world shut down for a while, but the church didn't. Because see, I believe if we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to spiritually mature, we love intentionally, we get excited, and we share our life with the world around us. That's our calling. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I'm committed to. So once again, I want to read Romans chapter 12. As if the Apostle Paul is writing it to the church in Richfield. The church called Northbrook. So Northbrook Church, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be boiling hot. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, even when you feel crushed. And faithful in prayer. Northbrook, share with the Lord's people who are in need. And practice hospitality. Share your life with the stranger, the foreigner, and even the enemy. For God's, by God's grace given to me, I say to every one of you at Northbrook Church, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, Northbrook, though many, we form one body. We all belong to each other. Yes, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Do so in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. 
If it's giving, then give generously. And if it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully.